and Home Hope, Sergio Perez, were third and fourth, respectively. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to The Week on 3 with me, Noreen Mir. It's great to be back with you on this week's programme and it really is a highlight for me to be able to highlight these interviews for you. Of course, there's just too many to fit in into the next half an hour, so here are just a few minutes of each interview. And if you like what you're hearing, then do go back to our Radio 3 archive to visit them or head over to the RTHK Podcast One page to find the programme you want to listen to. So on this week's show, we have Stefan Lee, who's one of the authors of the Hong Kong International Literary Festival. We have highlights from the opening ceremony of Operation Santa Claus. And we also have Ed Sheeran. That's right. Alison Howe in this week's Common Room spoke to international superstar Ed Sheeran about his daughter, his fellow British musicians, and also how he's experimenting with new styles. Well, you are incredible. I mean, we love having your music, everything that you put out. We're just loving it. And in your recent videos, you're kind of going so not Ed Sheeran like I mean yeah. you're suiting up you're getting makeup on yeah I, you know I feel like I've had I've tried so many things in my career that um, I don't want to do the same thing again I don't want to do stuff that people would think was Ed Sheeran like I want to try try some new things which is you know bad bad habits coming out is so un me it's so like my fan base were like what on earth is this I'm not sure if we like this but I it's this is exciting for me to try different things Wow. I guess another really good thing or a good place to start experimenting would be family members and close friends. I remember that um, you used to say that Lyra is not the biggest fan of yours. <laughs> is she growing on your music now? Yeah, I mean, she's a bit... She's like 14 months old now and she sort of knows that it is my music, I think. I think before it was just loud noise and now it's... Um, you know, like I, I said that when she was like three months old kind of thing. She's... Uh, she's, <laughs> she's She's grown and uh, she just loves music now. She dances a lot. Oh, that's fantastic. So what kind of things do you like to play at home then? What kind of music do you guys like to play at home? All genres, you know. I don't I don't want to... I, I, I try a different album every day and it can be... We listened to Black Sabbath yesterday. Uh, this morning was a band called The Ferrets. Um, I have Metallica in there. I have um, Eric Clapton. Joni Mitchell, uh, you know, there's Taylor albums there. There's um, uh, Dr. Dre, Fifty Cent, Dizzy Rascal. Like, I want to, I want to play a wide spectrum of music. For I, don't, I want her to grow up and just appreciate everything. I know that you recently made a public announcement for people to support Elton John and Dua Lipa song. Yeah, and they are number one. Well done to you. And talk about chartings. I know that Adele was also dropping an album pretty close to your date. And somebody asked her how she felt about it. And she says she ain't panicking. He should panic. Uh, well, I'm not panicking either because I'm coming three, <laughs> I'm coming three weeks before her. So like I get my weekend. Like she, she definitely shouldn't be panicking. She's without a doubt the biggest, biggest artist in the world. But I think, um, everyone, everyone in the music industry talks. So everyone sort of knows when people are releasing. So I could schedule my album end of October and uh, I could make sure that I avoid her because once her album comes out it is 
she's going to be number one for a long time. It's a time, whole year but, of Adele. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely Christmas, definitely Christmas. But, um, but yeah, man, I think it's, it's just great for UK music. There's me, Adele, and Coldplay, and Elton actually all releasing within a month. And yeah. usually, usually there would just be one that would release for for Christmas. But you know, it hasn't really. My first album came out when Adele's 21 came out, and it was the same yes. same thing at that Christmas. And then I think Multiply was when 25 was out. So I, I've had this I've had this before, and I think I've known her for almost 16 years, almost 16 years. And I I think she's phenomenal. She's got an incredible voice and incredible songs. And um, yeah, it's it's an honor going head to head. And that was Ed Sheeran chatting with Alison on Wednesday's Common Room. Earlier this week on Sunday, Hong Kong saw some very serious traffic accidents. On Tuesday's Back Chat, hosts Jim Gould and Andrew Work discuss Hong Kong's road safety with James Okenden, the founder and editor of Transit Jam. He's also the producer of radio show Wham Bam Tram, and they start with some figures on road accidents. You know, what we've got to remember here is there were five deaths yesterday, on, on Sunday, sorry, but... It wasn't atypical in terms of the number of crashes that day. Uh, in fact, there were 100 crashes on Sunday. And on Monday, where there were no deaths, there were 124 crashes, mm. uh, 28 of those with injuries. So this is a huge th problem. And we only see the deaths, of course, because if we were to report every crash, then everyone would just completely lose interest. Mm. Well, so, it would be the whole newspaper. It would be every day, you know, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, in terms of deaths this past weekend, was this uh, how many people are we normally having how many fatalities we normally have on a weekend i would say well on average there's around 50 to 60 uh fatalities a year so we're looking at sort of on average one a week so yes five in one day is is certainly unusual unless there's a major incident like the you know the typo bus crash in which uh you know 18 people lost their lives in one go mm. so there was there was a lot but you know none of these the, the police still report these as accidents and the government says they're accidents none of these were accidents you know these were these were avoidable um so i think something very important to talk about is what the un is doing right now everyone's talking about cop 26 the UN actually last week launched its new decade of action for road safety last week um, because the UN has recognised that road deaths are the leading cause of death for young people globally. It's, it's amazing, really. And it's a very unjust death. It impacts the poor, the vulnerable, way more than the rich, you know, who are in their very well-protected cars. So the UN is actually doing something about this now, and I hope Hong Kong can perhaps take some lead. Mm -hmm. Well, except for that one guy. Well, I mean, we have one, one, one outlier to that would be the guy who smashed up his Lamborghini over the weekend. Was it was that road racing or was that just some of the any Is there any information about that? There's no information about that. But YouTube videos from earlier that night show a number of sports cars racing along uh, Bridespool Road. I calculated the speeds from the uh, counting the lampposts. Uh, which are 30 metres apart on Bridespool Road. And they were easily reaching 135 kph, you know, just, just going around some of these corners. And it's a 70 kph road. And we know there is, you know, racing going on there regularly. Police have given around 2,000 tickets for speeding on, that, on Bridespool Road in the last uh, nine months. So they're aware of the problem as well. And yet it still goes on. And we get car clubs coming out saying, we're not racing. Of course they are racing. You can see the speeds in some of these YouTube videos. Mm. And yeah, why are we? Why don't we see more enforcement? I mean, I mean, we've we've got a bit of a surplus of police kicking around right now. Why are they not just setting up on these major black spots? And they they know where they are, like Castle Peak Road, Bridespool Road. Why don't they just set up and 
you know, I don't just know. have a couple of guys up it, there to shut them down. It's an absolute mystery. And what are the police doing? We've got this Operation Golden Sun because there was a rise in the number of bicycle accidents last year. Sorry, crashes, I should call them, not accidents. Um, uh, and so the police immediately decided to crack down on cyclists. And it was completely wrong. And what we've seen is the number of enforcements against cyclists going up 70%, the number of enforcements against careless driving going down 10% by the same period. So police are targeting cyclists, they're not targeting cars, based on some woolly and weak analysis of, of crash data. In fairness, though, I mean, yeah, Bridespool Road is a, a notorious uh, 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 trouble spot. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the police have been pretty active there, haven't they, encountering road racing? I mean, you mentioned yeah, just now the number, of, uh, the, yeah. number of, the number of tickets yeah. they've uh, dished out. Uh, yeah, tragically, two people uh, uh, were uh, killed there late on on Sunday night. Um, but but uh, but just uh, just talking about cyclists. I mean, I mean, what what are the? I mean, I mean, obviously, you're riding a bicycle. Uh, if you're in a collision with a with a, a car or any other type of vehicle, you're in a very vulnerable position. Um, I mean, are other motorists uh, aware of the need? to, uh, you know, drive cave, uh, you know, safely and carefully around cyclists? I think they're not in general around pedestrians, mm. around cyclists, and that's the problem, mm. is that drivers far too long have got away with careless driving, with, you know, just simple things like illegal parking, blocking pedestrian crossings, and this cultivates a culture of entitlement, of privilege, of carelessness. Uh, if you, I cycle down Queen's Road Central all the time, and every driver you can see is holding their phone in their hands and staring at it, sometimes with both hands, you know, and so, of course, I'm aware of that as a cyclist and, and take care of these cars. But they're, they're, that is one big problem. The second is the infrastructure. If you look at the cycle lane where one of the, uh, the men tragically sort of... He was reported as just sort of falling off his bike and losing balance. But as you come down that hill towards the fire station, there's a sudden plethora of signs and blockages and the cycle track ends. And it will cause even a sort of experienced cyclist to perhaps, you know, have a wobble or, or, or what's going on here. Um, it's not safe infrastructure. The cycle track is not designed for, you know, smooth cycling there. And what about the cyclists themselves? I mean, uh, um, are they, is the level of sort of uh, competence and awareness good enough? I d I'm not sure that comes into it. We did see, uh, you know, a, a space of uh, crashes which were just uh, individual cyclists. So, you know, it'd be great to see something like we had in the UK, the cycling proficiency, uh, where, you know, every oh, yeah, kid is... That. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Every kid is taught how to ride a bike. And that really focused, that gives everyone a chance to, to get on a bike and, and have a go. But so, we still have a little bit of it. Like, I mean, yeah, we definitely have people out there that are kitted out with helmets and these types of things. But we still have a little bit of an old world culture where guys are riding around on bicycles with like gas canisters and bags of dead, you know, dead chickens and things <laughs> like that. I mean, are, are those people more vulnerable? Not, not according to the statistics. According to police statistics, only one percent of crashes involve food delivery riders, for example. And mm -hmm. yet the general idea seems to be they are dangerous because we see them, you know, whatever, cutting lights or whatever. But no. No, and in fact, we should be encouraging more of that if we're to have a genuine low-carbon city. We should be seeing more gas canisters and more goods delivered by bicycle. And the more we get and the more safe infrastructure and green loading zones we provide for those, the more we can have a sort of low-carbon, safe bicycle infrastructure. Well, speaking of food delivery, uh, has the explosion of scooters, I mean, you know, it was seen previously in Asia that scooters were a sign of a less developed economy. And as you went up the food chain, they would, they would try to get the scooters off the street. But now... 
you know, with the whole explosion of food delivery during COVID, uh, it seems like there's a lot more scooters out there. Has that changed the road safety dynamic? I haven't seen, there's not been a significant rise in, in motorcycle crashes. A lot of these food delivery riders also using bicycles mm. um, as well. So you see a lot more bicycles on the street than you would. Um, but I, I really hope it's something the Road Safety Council could look at because they just immediately see a rise in bicycle crashes and then they d decide to crack down on cyclists with this Operation Golden Sun. I think what we need is something more like a task force. We need like the environmental department's doing with its carbon neutrality task force. Let's have a road safety task force which has some real teeth and can we actually bring departments together, transport, highways, police, and actually solve some of these problems with some bright people rather than the Road Safety Council looking at it, you know, once a year and coming up with a fashion parade of elderly in high-vis vests. And that was James Ockenden on Tuesday's Back Chat. Let's now turn to one of the biggest highlights of Radio 3, and that is Operation Santa Claus. Operation Santa Claus is our yearly charity campaign, which is jointly organized with the South China Morning Post. And over the past 33 years, we have raised over Hong Kong dollars, 333 million for over 300 charities. And this year, we're continuing to do so to support 18 worthy causes, charities that support children and the elderly, to those who are marginalized, like the homeless and disabled, to some great medical support to those desperately in need. On Wednesday, we had the opening ceremony for Operation Santa Claus 2021. And you're about to hear some great highlights put together by Steve James. And here's Alison Howe, the MC of the ceremony. see you all here in person tonight. My name is Alison Howe and I'll be your host for this very special event this evening, the opening night of Operation Santa Claus. People all around have been deprived of connection during the pandemic and I am honored and glad that we're gathering here tonight to do more for the less fortunate. Last year, OSC raised $17.42 million and supported over 11,000 individuals in our community all while the activities were largely socially distant and remote. That is incredible. You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is such a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. We are honored. All of us beneficiaries are honored. Why? Because you have put uh, your trust in us to be your hands and your feet to serve the underprivileged and the marginalized in Hong Kong. OSC is a force for good, and OSC is very much ingrained in our community. Hey, SEMB, RDHK! It's really an honor to be here uh, speaking on behalf of KPMG, a longtime uh, supporter of uh, this anchor event uh, in Hong Kong where we're raising funds uh, for the needy. And, uh, you know, with COVID, we know that it's so difficult 
uh, to raise funds as NGOs. And I, I sit on a few NGO boards, and I really have to get my Rolodex out and uh, really call as many people as I can um, just to be able to raise funds. And you know, with this anchor event uh, uh, of uh, Operation Santa Claus, is much needed funds uh, for all the beneficiaries. Yes, the spirit of giving is alive and well here this evening. And I'm confident that through Operation Santa Claus, it will inspire another memorable year in bringing donors and beneficiaries together, in bringing us all together. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we are ready for the officiating ceremony, so let's see, shall we? Let's hit it! It's official! Operation Santa Claus 2021 is underway! Thank you so much, everyone! Wish you very Merry Christmas from my heart Wish you Merry what a wonderful ceremony it was. For the full video, you can go to our Facebook page, RTHK Radio 3 Hong Kong, or also our YouTube channel. And please also help us support these 18 worthy charities. You can find out more by visiting our brand new website, oschk.org. Another event that started this week is the Hong Kong International Literary Festival, and Radio 3 producer Yuki Jung caught up with Korean-American writer Stefan Lee about the K-pop phenomenon, and Yuki starts by finding out about his book, K-pop Confidential. K-pop Confidential is a story about a Korean-American teen named Candace Park, who lives in New Jersey, and she's kind of the perfect student. Um you know, always getting good grades, playing in the orchestra and all that. Um, but she gets dared to try out for the biggest K-pop group in the world, which actually has the biggest boy band, but they've never had a girl group before. And they're looking for their first one. And she's always wanted to sing instead of play the viola. <laughs> I think a lot of um, Asian and Asian American students can really relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, but she goes and she passes and then she has to go to Seoul, South Korea. And she's actually never been to Asia before, even though she is Korean American. And she has to learn the culture and enter a trainee program um, in K-pop. And K-pop trainee programs are very, very tough. So she really has to do everything she can. And there's lots of competition. The other girls are mostly nice, but there are a few that are out for her. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and she also, there's also dating bans within the trainee program that she has to deal with because she finds the interest in a boy trainee at the company and also one of the idols. So, yeah, that's basically the overall gist of the first book. Sounds yeah. exciting. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the process of writing your books? What inspired you and what was it like? Yeah, so um, I had to write this book really quickly um, because I got the deal from Scholastic in America and um, I only had about three to four months to write it. Um, and I had been writing a different book for years and years and years, um, completely different, it has nothing to do with K-pop and it was actually an adult novel. 
So I always thought I was kind of a slow writer, but then mm -hmm. I had to become a fast one right away. <laughs> um, so I, you know, researched a lot about K-pop. Um, I had done some research before because I was an entertainment journalist in America and had done some research on K-pop earlier. But more than a K-pop expert or um, a journalist, I really approached it as a fiction writer. So I was very inspired by The Hunger Games because I do feel like in a way that K-pop kind of feels like um, a real life Hunger Games because you're kind of representing so much more than yourself and you have the whole world watching and the stakes are high and it's very, very physically difficult. So um, I really approached it as um, a novel and a story more than just like, you know, um, here's what happens in K-pop, if that makes sense. Yeah, obviously you 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 are also an entertainment journalist, and then you were saying yes. that you were writing a um, totally different book. So was it much different than the usual pitching a story and writing about a feature story, or is it more or less the same? Oh, it, yes, it's definitely very different because with feature stories, even though I was very passionate as an entertainment journalist, you don't have so much ownership over it. Your name might go on it, but it's also within the pages or the website of a magazine that's kind of bigger than yourself. Whereas with a book, it's just your own name on it and you do kind of have complete control. So it is a lot scarier than um, writing um, reported pieces for me. Um, and um, But it was also so much fun. I mean, the other book I've been writing forever is you know, very autobiographical, but this one, you know, I've never tried to become a K-pop star and I've never been, you know, a 16-year-old girl, um, although I don't think it's always that different. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it, it was so different, but it was so much fun. Um, it felt so creative to do something that was outside of my own experience. As an Asian-American, as a Korean-American, is there anything that you want to tell through your story? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons why, um, you know, K-pop, Korean entertainment, um, Asian entertainment in general becoming so mainstream in America is so important is that I think what happens to people who are kind of my minorities wherever they are in the world, um, the majority sometimes doesn't always see them as 100% human, you know? And that has all sorts of bad consequences, but... Um, you know, even someone who isn't bullied all the time, like Candace doesn't grow up completely bullied, but she does grow up being unseen. And people just assume that she's just one predictable way. And I think that is actually really harmful. It does may not seem harmful, but I think over time, you might start to believe that you yourself are not that interesting or that important. Or, But um, I love that the world is seeing that on on screen, um, you know, Asian people are being cool, they're dancing, they're being loud, they're being funny, they're being silly, they're being scary, you know, all sorts of different types of um, human experiences. And I think that's really important. And I think that that is also what I wanted to do with K-pop Confidential is that um, these people might seem so perfect and almost like, you know, a lot of um, American people and a lot of American media criticize K-pop like, oh, it's so manufactured or these people seem like robots or whatever. But actually, um, they're all humans with a lot of interesting things going on in their heads. And I wanted to show that with K-pop Confidential, give you her real thoughts, give her her real observations. 
And just now you mentioned that now um, K-pop and K-culture is getting more um, attention, and then with the recent exploding popularity with um, Netflix <laughs> drama Squid Game and the huge success of BTS, um, what yes. do you think of the growing international attention to K-culture? I love it, and it's so it's so kind of surreal for me as a Korean American because when I was growing up, I didn't think that Korean. I didn't think that anyone was interested in Korean culture. Um, and, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this now, but when I was a child, um, I spent more of my energy trying to fit in with <laughs> mainstream American culture than try to share my own. But I love that that's changing. And, you know, people sometimes say, oh, everything, all of this is just a trend or this is just going to go away soon. But it kind of seems like it never does, you know, because their BTS is still going strong and will for... I hope forever. <laughs> and um, Blackpink brings like a whole other energy and they did a guest track on Lady Gaga and Selena Gomez and Cardi B guest tracked on them. Like, you know, just some of the biggest stars there are. And then people didn't see Squid Game coming from anywhere, you know, and, you know, and obviously Parasite was two years ago. So every time someone's like, okay, this is like the pinnacle, this is all there is, then you know, Korea and, you know, Asia at large comes out with something different that, you know, everyone really likes because it's so good. It's kind of undeniable how good it is. So I really hope that, you know, I feel like in America and in the rest of the world, a lot of times people will really accept something that comes from the UK or something. And everyone's like, oh, of course, that would be popular too here because we all relate to it. But seeing like but now knowing that like Korea is one of those like cultural superpowers that um, produce things regularly that everyone in the world really gravitates to is so exciting. And I think it's just like new faces and new cultures being put in the forefront again. And that was Stefan Lee chatting with Yuki Jung on Friday's 123 show. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, then do go back to the Radio 3 archives, and you can also find out more about the International Literary Festival by visiting festival.org.hk. And now this brings us to the end of the program. Let me say goodbye to you and leave you with Steve James' music feature of the week. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. RTHK Radio 3. I'm Colonel Cool, and I'm the captain on this rocket to the stars. Steve, Steve, James, James, Tuesday, Tuesday. Looks like they love you, kid. Okay, let's glance back in time. This day, 1963, underline that, 1963, the Conrads, featuring one David Bowie, appeared at Shirley Parish Hall in Shirley, Croydon, in England. This day, 1967, Cream released their second studio album, Disraeli Gears, which became the group's American breakthrough and became a massive seller in 1968. This day, 1969, I think I'm going to avoid this one, Sugar Sugar by the Archies was at number one on the UK singles chart. The single became the longest-running one-hit wonder in the UK with eight weeks at the top of the charts. I'm going to focus on this day, 1944. It's the birthday of Keith Emerson from the English progressive rock band The Nice, who had the 1968 UK hit single and instrumental rearrangement of Leonard Bernstein's America. And as ELP Emerson, Lake and Palmer had the 1977 UK number two signal, or single even, fanfare for the common man. All music 
Online describes Emerson as perhaps the greatest, most technically accomplished keyboardist in rock history. In 1976, while still in ELP, Emerson released his first solo record. It was this, Honky Tonk Train Blues, Emerson's cover of a 1927 number by Mead Lux Lewis, and it made the charts. And this young DJ went out and bought it.